Good morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, It's always an honor to be able to worship with you guys. It's a profound honor to be able to bring God's word to you. I have studied a lot for this sermon and uh, learned a lot. I'm still learning. So I'm going to be able to address a lot of questions today, but not all of them. So I hope that... um, What we're talking about today will be something, it can be an ongoing conversation that we have as a church body, that we have as families, and if you want to talk to me about it, I'd love to share more of what I've learned. Um, I'm going to pray, and we'll get going. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this space and for this time to be able to come together as your people to be able to hear your word, to be able to respond. Lord, we pray for those who come in carrying heavy burdens this morning, that you would bring them peace and that you would bring them rest. We pray that you would teach us all and speak to our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, I want you to imagine that you're invited to a party or a celebration of some sort, a special occasion. And I realize that in this room, we've got extroverts who like to party. They like to host parties, and that sounds awesome. And I realize that we've got introverts who would rather scrub floors than be at a party. But wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, I want you to think about a special occasion where you'll get to be with the people you love the most doing the things that you love. So maybe it's a dinner with old friends. Um, Maybe it is a big party with dancing. But whatever would make you celebrate and whatever you would look forward to, I want you to imagine that, okay? And so in preparation, you like make your best appetizer and you go to get a drink. Grown-ups, maybe you stop at ABC and reach for a shelf that's a little higher than you normally would. Um, Oh, kids... Maybe you spring for ice-cold Capri Sun. None of that 100% juice junk. You're going for the full-on sugary Capri Sun because you are here to party. You with me? So you roll up to this party and you like fix your hair one last time and you knock on the door. And when the host opens the door, you're like, hey! And they're like, shh, shh, shh. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. Um, you're like, hey, uh, where, where do I put this drink? And they're like, oh, uh, leave that outside. We're doing tap water today. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I brought an app. You know, where's the food going? Oh, we're, um, we're not eating today either. We're fasting. Okay. Uh, was it an invitation, but cool. Um, so you step inside, <clears throat> and you're listening for music. You're looking for decorations. You don't see anybody, and you're like, I'm the first person here. And so you ask, like, where is everybody? And the host is like, oh, we're all going in individual rooms today. We're going to sit in uncomfortable chairs and read and meditate and stare at the wall. And there aren't any windows, so you won't get distracted. You're like, okay. uh, Well, so, like, are we doing that before the party? You're like, no, 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 that's the party. Okay. How long are we doing that? All day and all night. Great, great. I think I need to run out real quick because I didn't eat. I didn't know it was going to be that kind of party. 
They're like, oh, no, no, no. If you get hungry or if you get bored or if you get tired, just repeat to yourself, I'm a horrible person for having desires. I'm a horrible person for having desires. And just keep doing that until it goes away and then you carry on. Well, there are probably like two of you in here that think, that doesn't sound so bad. But for the rest of us, uh, that's miserable, right? Um, And I'm a people pleaser, so I would probably be the guy that like still did it and tried to convince myself that it wasn't so bad when I was in there. But most of you would just leave. And regardless of what you did, if you ever got that invitation again, you probably wouldn't go, right? Um, Well, that is about how people feel about Sabbath when they hear it. Um, That party, if we can even call it that, is similar to what comes to mind when many of us think about Sabbath. Um, It's boring. It's a waste of time. There are too many rules. I could be doing something better with my time. And I should say, Brandy reminded me until recently that the high school ministry was called Sabbath. So we're not talking about that. Hopefully, when you think of high school ministry, you don't think of a boring party. But um, if we're all honest about it, the Sabbath, which is the fourth commandment, um, it's probably the one that we break the most. It's the easiest to break because so many people don't keep it and there are no clear consequences. It's not like killing someone or stealing. The consequences are low. Um, But I want to show my cards right off the bat and tell you that I think that there's an amazing invitation to you that I think is offered in the fourth commandment to remember the Sabbath. And it's not an invitation to a boring party. It's an invitation to rest, to joy, to delight, and to celebration. So you may have been here about a month ago when I preached on rest, and we looked at Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And that's the passage where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if there was one big takeaway that I wanted you to get from that, it's this. Rest is a gift. It's not something that you earn. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. So when Chuck Berry started our sermon series, which is called R&R, he preached from Acts 2. And in Acts 2.37, it says... Uh, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? These were people hearing Peter preach the gospel. They were cut to the heart and they wanted to know what they should do. So our R&R series is attempting to kind of flesh out what you do when you hear the call of Jesus Christ. And the first R always stands for remain because we're called to remain in Christ and Like rest, even the ability to remain is a gift because we can't on our own strength remain in Christ, but we remain in him because he remains in us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the second R in R&R is always a verb. It's like an action word because it's answering, what do we do? And so I chose the word recreate, which isn't even a word. Um... (laughs) It sort of is, but normally we pronounce it recreate, and that means something different than I'm going for, but I mean it uh, like we'd normally pronounce recreation. So the word recreation comes from a Latin verb that I'm not going to try to say, but it means to refresh, 
restore, make anew, revive, or invigorate. And when that term first was used in English, it was in the 1300s, but it was used more like we use the word recover. And in fact, I was thinking this morning, I probably should have just made my R word recover. But, um, but it, was, it was used um, to refer to either people who were exhausted or people who were sick. And recreation was like when they're coming back to health again. So regardless of the etymology of recreation and the fact that I'm kind of making up a word this morning, the second R is for recreate. Um, but like I was saying, rest is a gift to all who come to Jesus. And that gift is linked to the Sabbath. In Matthew 11, that's, that's the passage we looked at for rest, the come to me all who are weary passage. He invites all who are weary to come to him and receive rest as a gift. And then the very next thing that Jesus does is he and his disciples go. So he's with his friends. He's with his community. They go and they go through grain fields. They're enjoying nature. They're enjoying creation. And they pick some grain and eat it. So they're eating together. And they do this on the Sabbath. And a Pharisee, which is one of the sticklers for the rules, calls Jesus out for breaking the Sabbath. And then Jesus goes to the synagogue and he heals a man with a withered hand again on the Sabbath. And again, these rule followers are calling Jesus out for breaking the Sabbath. And it's no coincidence that Jesus has just been preaching on the oppressive yoke. And I don't know if you remember, that's not egg yolk, that's like yoke like an oxen wears to pull a cart. But a yoke was also the list of rules that a rabbi would give his disciples. And so it's no coincidence that Jesus has just been talking about the oppression of the yokes of these rabbis. And then he goes and he does what they say is not lawful on the Sabbath. It's no coincidence that Jesus invites the weary to receive rest and then gets accused of violating the day of rest. But Jesus didn't do this in order to say, no more Sabbath. He did this in order to show what the Sabbath is really all about. And so that's kind of the point of the message this morning. We're, we're asking, what is the Sabbath all about? And there are tons of questions that come up. What is Sabbath? How do you keep the Sabbath? Are Christians supposed to keep the Sabbath? What day is it on? Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to try to address some of these, but my hope is that each of you will honestly confront the, the fourth commandment and prayerfully consider what it means for you, what it means for your family, what it ultimately means for this community. And when I say what it means for you, I don't mean that it's subjective, like it may mean something, it may not, but I mean like, how does it apply? And I hope we can actually make this practical. So the first question is, what is Sabbath? The idea of Sabbath comes from Genesis 2. And if you have a bulletin, you've got this passage on the back here, or it's on the screen. Uh, and this is what it says in Genesis 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So it almost sounds redundant. That's three times that it says he rested from the work that he had done. And three times in Hebrew imagery means this is a big deal. Pay attention to it. 
This is the origin of Sabbath. And you may have noticed, hey, Mark, it doesn't actually say Sabbath. And you're right, sort of. Um, The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the word Sabbath means like Saturday, but it also is an ordinal number that means seventh. So in Hebrew, Sabbath, Saturday, and Sabbath, seventh, it's the same word. So the context has to, you know, determine how you're going to translate it. So in a sense, you could translate Genesis 2 as mentioning Sabbath. But nonetheless, that's where it first shows up. And then it shows up again when Moses is giving the Ten Commandments and the Israelites are gathered at Mount Sinai. And that's in Exodus 20. That's also here on the back of your bulletin. This is what it says, starting in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And that's normally what you hear for the fourth commandment. It's just that little pithy phrase. Um, I, I share an office with Robin Cole, and she told me that when she was in school, she had to memorize that verse because her name starts with R and that uh, commandment starts with R. So she will always remember the fourth commandment. Um, Anyway, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So here at Mount Sinai, remembering the Sabbath became an actual command, literally written in stone for the people of God. And so to answer our first question, what is the Sabbath? This is the Sabbath. It was the seventh day of the week. And on the Sabbath, the people of God were to do no work. And anyone under their authority, their family, the people who worked for them, even their animals, none of them were to do any work on that day. So the second question, maybe not the second question you have, but it's the second question I'm going to ask. What is the reason to keep the Sabbath? In other words, what's, what's the why? What is the motivation for keeping the Sabbath? God gives us two clear motives in Scripture for remembering the Sabbath. And the first comes from the passage that we just looked at in Exodus 20. So God commands his people to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he goes into some details about that. And then in verse 11, listen to what it says. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore, and therefore means because of this. So because of this, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in a word, the motive for Sabbath keeping is creation. Uh, God completed his work of creation and then he rested. My favorite theologian, John Frame says, celebration of a completed divine work is called rest. And think about it. God didn't rest because he was tired. There are enough passages in scripture, like one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 121. And it says that he will neither slumber nor sleep. God doesn't need rest. The Hebrew word is manuha. You know you want to say that. Let's all say it together. Manuha. Yeah. All right. So manuha is the Hebrew word used for rest. 
but it can be translated also as joyous repose, as tranquility, or even delight. And so God wasn't dozing off. He was delighting. He was celebrating. We can think of the six days of creation as like a birth period. And now here's this amazing new life. And what do you do when you bring a new baby home? Or if you haven't done that, what do you do when you bring a puppy home? I'm immediately thinking of Joe Creech's sermon last week. He probably spat and cussed when he brought a new puppy home, but he's not here, so I can say that. Um, He's also my boss. Um, But when you bring new life home, think of think of what you do. You you begin to bind, and you take in every little detail, and you rejoice and you delight. I know when baby Lucy was born, I took off work for a couple of weeks because I just wanted to be there. I just wanted to get to know her. That's the kind of rest that God was doing. I believe it's a good picture of what Sabbath is supposed to be for us. So the motive that we're given in Exodus 20 for remembering the Sabbath is creation. And then in Deuteronomy, God has Moses restate the Ten Commandments. Because at this point, Moses is toward the end of his life. And the Israelites are getting close to entering the promised land. And so he needs to remind them of God's laws, of God's word. And so he restates the Ten Commandments. And when he gets to the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is the motive that it gives in verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath. In Exodus, the motive was creation, right? So in Deuteronomy, the motive is redemption. It's redemption from slavery. And I want you to think about how significant it would be for Moses' original audience to hear that Sabbath was to help them remember their redemption from slavery. Moses himself is the one who led them out of slavery in Egypt. And they've been traveling through the wilderness for years. They're close to entering the promised land. Think about why God saying, remember you are a slave in Egypt is important in light of Sabbath. The Sabbath is for the free. It's not for slaves because slaves never got a day off. Sabbath is for those who are free. So once a day, they get to remember we're no longer slaves. We have been redeemed. And it makes it all the more poignant that after that initial command to remember the Sabbath, God goes into and make sure your kids don't work and make sure your servants don't work. Make sure even your donkeys and your oxen and your puppies don't work because this is going to be a day of rest for everybody. You are not going to be treated like a slave anymore. So the answer to the why question, why do we remember the Sabbath is to celebrate God's work in creation and God's work in redemption. So the big burning question for us this morning is, are Christians today still supposed to observe the Sabbath? Or when Jesus fulfilled the law, did it abrogate the fourth commandment? 
And let's look at what scripture says. In Exodus 31, 17, God says, Sabbath is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So consider this. It's a sign forever between God and the people of Israel. The New Testament in various places and various ways makes it clear Israel is no longer a geopolitical state. It is the people of God. True Israel are the followers of God. And as Christians, we are grafted into Israel. So if God says... That it's a sign forever between God and the people of Israel. It means it is a sign forever between God and us. The, The Sabbath is a sign forever. And we just said that the motives for keeping Sabbath are creation and redemption. And it's not as if we don't still have a reason to celebrate creation and redemption. Are you with me? I know we're talking about Sabbath here. And I realized that, uh, This is probably a horrible subject to pick on a day when all the kids were in here. So I'm going to give a brief intervention and tell you a dumb story about Lucy because people are like, are you talking about Lucy today? And I wasn't going to, but this is just a funny story. It has nothing to do with anything, but I'll I'll get you you re-engaged. So uh, Lucy's old enough that she's eating solid food now and stuff like that, and she eats like a hobbit like 18 times a day. But... At normal mealtimes, we'll put her in her high chair and, and pull her up to the table so that we're all kind of eating together. And Brandy and I will always hold hands and um, pray. We'll like bow our heads and pray. And, and we don't do like little kid prayers. Like we just pray like we normally do. And we didn't notice that she noticed this, but she has this face. Um, and I'm sorry if you can't see my face, but she goes like this. And the first time she did it, she did it for a really long time. And we honestly thought she was having a seizure, but we realized that that's her silly face. And so we call it her silly face. And now I don't know why, but every time after we pray, we look up and there's Lucy at the end of the table going. <laughs> so I don't know if she thinks we're playing like a game of peekaboo with her or, or what, but she, I mean, I guess it's good that she likes it when we pray. Okay, you're awake now, right? So, the motives for Sabbath are creation and redemption. And it's not as if we don't still have reason to celebrate those. Because, so Genesis tells us that God rested after his work of creation, right? But in John 1, it says that Jesus, the Logos, was in the beginning with God. And goes on to say that all things were made through him. That's Christ there in creation. And that's a reason to celebrate. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? He's a new creation. Creation is still something to remember and celebrate. See, we, we work and we toil and we convince ourselves that we're in control and that it's all on us. And when things are going well, we have a tendency to be prideful and think, look at what I've done. And when things aren't going well, we have a tendency uh, to fall into anxiety and fear, right? But Sabbath is an invitation 
to remember that all things were created through Christ. Sabbath is a day to stop and rest and remember my job is not my provider and my ultimate hope is not in my 401k. But it's in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is for me and who loves me and nothing can separate me from his love. So the first word in the fourth commandment, remember, is significant. It's a day to stop and slow down and actually remember who we are and where we came from. God rescued Israel from slavery to Egypt and he gave the Sabbath as a day to remember his work of redemption. And on the cross, Jesus Christ finished his work of redemption. Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And in Galatians 4, 7, Paul says that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We were born slaves to sin, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been redeemed and set free. And not only are we not slaves, we are heirs to God. That's something to celebrate. When Jesus was criticized for picking and eating grain on the Sabbath, he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He didn't say you don't need to remember the Sabbath anymore. He emphasized that it's not a heavy burden, but it's a gift from a loving father. A few years ago, I was wondering how long you should keep your MacBook Pro plugged in because that's the kind of laptop that I have. And I tend to let mine run almost all the way down and then I plug it in until it's charged all the way. I had another friend who just left his plugged in all the time. You with me? So I had this hypothesis that if you leave it plugged in all the time, it's probably not good for the overall life of the battery. And we kind of like used reason to like discuss it. And I could have pulled my friends or, you know, just done some trial and error. But what I did is I went to the Apple store and I talked to a genius at the genius bar. (laughs) So in other words, I went to the creator of the MacBook Pro to ask, how is this MacBook Pro best going to operate? How is it going to have the longest life? And by the way, I was right, but (laughs) that's beside the point. But the point is this, we were created by God and made in his image, and he knows better than any other source how we'll best operate. And he tells us we were created to work six days and rest on the seven. And that's how we'll function best. And uh, we're going we're gonna to do a little rabbit trail because I want to address a question that has tended to be controversial for a lot of people, which is what day is the Sabbath? Because it clearly used to be one day and now Christians meet on Sunday and what's up with that? So we could get lost in the weeds here, but I'm going to try to make it quick and simple. And if you want to have a longer conversation about it some other time, take me to lunch. Um, So in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was usually observed on Saturdays. And if you want to be really specific, it was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And uh, there were exceptions to this, though. Like there were Sabbaths that were to be observed like the day of atonement, but it fell on a different day every year. So even though it was traditionally observed on Saturday, Sabbaths weren't always Saturday. And uh, scripture never actually says the seventh day of the week when it's talking about Sabbath. It just says the seventh day. 
So the emphasis is on that rhythm. Work six days, rest for a seventh. Work six days, rest for seventh. You with me? So in the New Testament, it never specifically says that the apostles shifted the day of worship or shifted the Sabbath to Sunday, but it's pretty clear that they did. Um, they were, uh, when Jesus appeared after the resurrection, they were meeting together, and that was on Sundays. In Acts 20, it talks about people meeting on Sundays. Um, in Revelation, John refers to the day of the Lord, which is what the first day of the week came to be known as. It was kind of like, it just became known that Christians met on the first day of the week. And the reason why is Jesus rose on the first day of the week. So by observing the Sabbath on Sunday... It was a way to honor the resurrection. There are some Christians who are adamant that we still observe the Sabbath on Saturday, and there are some who insist that it be done on Sunday. Um, and if you have a strong conviction one way or another, I say go with that. I don't encourage you to go against your conviction. But many believe Paul suggested that the day didn't matter. There's several passages, but Colossians 2.16, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So here's the important point. Even though the day of the calendar changed, the early church and the apostles maintained the Sabbath rhythm of work for six days, rest for a seventh. And that's what I hope we'll focus on. Um, And there are practical benefits to it. Can we work more than six days? Absolutely. We do it all the time. We've proven time and time again that we can do that. But what happens? The quality of our work diminishes. And think about what it does to you personally. I spent a ridiculous amount of time looking at research on the health, mental health, physical health benefits of Sabbath. And I I was thinking like, oh, that'd be cool if I had like some science to back up this thing. But the thing is like, we don't actually need a medical journal to confirm what we already know, that when we work too much, we get exhausted and we make careless mistakes and we say careless things and our quality of life decreases and we make things worse for everyone around us. I mean, that's what all the studies show, but we already know that, right? But even more than that, why do I need science to give credence to the counsel of the one who created us? Because the one who created us knows how we're going to work best and he makes it clear. Work six days and rest a seventh. And we don't do it. I didn't for a long, long time. And I'll tell you what changed for me. During my first year in seminary, I was like drowning emotionally, like just overwhelmed with everything that I had to do, bills, schoolwork, you name it. And um, I met with one of my professors, Dr. Steve Childers, who I think some of you probably know. And I didn't even know him at the time, but he just seemed like a good guy who I could trust. And so I went in and just started like unloading on him. And he kind of interrupted me and he's like, are you keeping a Sabbath? And I felt myself get angry. And I was like, I don't want to be angry at this guy, but I was like, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And I said, I, I can't get everything done if I take a, a day off. And he goes, what, you think I can And I felt dumb. I mean, because first of all, I had convinced myself that my problems were bigger than anyone else's. I didn't imagine that a seminary professor could possibly be as stressed as I was or have as much to do as I did. But also, as I look back on it, I'm like, 
Did I think he was going to be like, oh yeah, you got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I don't keep a Sabbath. Like he wasn't going to say that, but he was actually really loving and gracious. And like, if you know Steve Childers, when he starts talking about something he's really stoked on, he just has this joy. He's a big dude. Um, but he was just like doing this a lot when he was talking and, uh, I just realized as he was talking, like I believed two lies about myself and my situation. I believed if I ceased from work for a day that everything would fall apart. And I know some of you feel that. I believed that if I had more to do, I, I believed I had more to do than I could possibly get done. I already was so stressed I wasn't sleeping. What was going to happen if I took a day off and then I was behind? The other thing is I believed I couldn't take a Sabbath until I'd gotten everything done and I actually deserved a Sabbath. I'd actually earned a Sabbath. But as I listened to Dr. Childers, my logic flipped and I realized I don't have to get everything done before I can rest. My whole life I'd seen Sabbath as restriction and rules and I'd never seen it as a gift. But I still remember, like, I don't remember the exact sentence he said, but he said something like this and he was like, like he was in another world talking about, he said, every week we get a foretaste of the final rest that we will enter in the new heavens and the new earth, a foretaste of heaven. And that's what Sabbath is. God made the Sabbath holy and to make something holy means to set it apart and treat it as sacred. And you know what the first thing in scripture that is holy is. It's not a temple. It's not an altar. It's not a place. It's not a physical thing. The very first thing that God makes holy is time. And it's the very passage that we started with today. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. For six days we labor and contend with the curse. We wrestle with the thistles and the thorns. But on the seventh day we are invited to enter what Abraham Heschel calls a palace in time. And so, uh, you know, like I'm a pretty like artsy, touchy feely guy. And some of you might be thinking like, okay, palace in time. Cool. Mark, where's this palace in time? So let's try to make it practical today. I'm inviting all who are weary and burdened to come to Jesus, to receive rest and to experiment with the Sabbath, just experiment with it. After that conversation with Dr. Childers, I started experimenting with this Sabbath and I floundered a lot and I still do. There are weeks that I try and life happens. Um, It's gotten significantly more complicated now that we have a kid because it takes forethought and planning to not work for a day. Sometimes you end up folding laundry on a night when you'd rather just sit around and watch TV, but you do that in order to prepare for the Sabbath. So here's what I'm specifically asking you to do. If you don't already have a Sabbath rhythm, or if you have a Sabbath and it doesn't look anything like a celebration that honors God, pray that God will allow you to receive the invitation. And I want you to talk with your spouse, your family, your community, and dream about what Sabbath can be. Dream that it could be something with balloons and fireworks instead of like an uncomfortable chair in a room with no windows. And I want you to start practical. And this is the hardest part. You got to start practical, which means for that day, you don't work 
You don't check work emails. You don't do housework. You don't do homework. And kids, if I've lost you this whole time, I'm saying there's a day that you don't do homework. And it'll feel like an extreme sacrifice at first because it's the part that feels like a prohibition. So you've just got to remind yourself it's a gift. And it's very much like tithing because so often we're like, how can I possibly take a percentage of my income and give it away and still have enough to live on? And yet when we are faithful to do it, we somehow have enough. And usually we have more than enough. It's the same kind of thing. And there are obviously things that we have to do, like change diapers and put gas in the car. So don't get hung up on the, like, is putting this frozen pizza in the oven work. Don't get hung up on that. Remember, it's about the spirit of it. It's about the heart of it. And if resting from work is already in place, then maybe it's not that you change what you do, but you change your heart and your mindset. You talk about the day and why it's special. You acknowledge the wonder of creation and remember what it is to be redeemed from slavery. Uh, I think a lot of you know I'm a mental health counselor, and, and earlier this week I was talking to a client, and uh, she was talking about how much she loves her significant other. But we were talking about how you never really say it. It's like uh, we can get really passionate about our hobbies and the food that we like and the show that we're binging on Netflix, but then to like say how passionately you feel about the person you love. It's kind of awkward if you don't normally do that. And I thought, why is that? Because at the end of the day, when we come to the end of our lives, that's the things that matter most. Like those are the things that we're most passionate about. But usually the things that we're most passionate about are the things that God is most passionate about also, like family and community and faith. And if you were the enemy of God, would you not attack it? Would you not try to convince people, oh, it'll be awkward if you talk about that. So don't do that. Of course you would. So maybe you're thinking it'd be kind of weird to sit down and talk with my wife and kids about what gives them rest and what we want to do for Sabbath this week. And it might be, but you should do it. I dare you. I dare you to do it. And once you've found your rhythm, you invite other people into it, especially ones who will have a hard time finding their own. So you invite the single mom in. You play with her kids. You adopt a college kid. You invite the widows. If Sabbath is a foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth, think of what that's going to be like. The great equalizer where there are no rich, there are no poor, there are no downtrodden, there are no disenfranchised, everyone will have a seat at the table. Sabbath is to be a foretaste of that. I have like so much more to say about this, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up by saying this, uh, going to church on Sunday is not keeping the Sabbath. If that's all that you do, and I know that might be weird to say, but church can absolutely be a part of what you do on the Sabbath, but the emphasis in scripture is always on rest. How many times, just quoting scripture today, have you heard me say the word rest? The emphasis is always on rest. And if I were to ask you guys, what do you do for rest? I don't think any of you would be like, I go to church. 
I mean, some of you clearly take naps during church, but, <laughs> but it's not what you do for rest, right? So I want you to think the foretaste of heaven, what's it going to be like? The picture that Revelation gives is a feast, a wedding reception. It's a celebration of our redemption. What did, what did the Israelites do after they were redeemed? Immediately after the Red Sea crashed in on Pharaoh and his army, you know what they did? Moses led the Israelites in a song, like a long song. And it seems like he made it up on the spot and yet everybody knew it somehow. And then when he finished it, Miriam's like, hey, we had to leave in a hurry, but we didn't forget our tambourines. They get tambourines out and they start shaking tambourines and singing and dancing. That's what you do when you're redeemed. You sing and you dance and you party. The Israelites were exiled to Babylon. Some of them to Babylon. We won't get into all that. And after a long time, they got to go back. But they didn't know much about keeping the the laws of God. And Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of trying to teach them what it means. Ezra is a priest and a prophet. Nehemiah was like the governor who was sent back to rebuild the city and the walls. And it's a cool story if you get some context. If you don't, it's like, what are we talking about here? But anyway, um, there's this beautiful part in Nehemiah where Ezra reads the law to the Israelites. And it's very similar to that passage in Acts where Peter preaches the gospel and they're and they're cut to the bone and, it, and it's like they're saying, what do we do then? Listen to, what, listen to what it says. And Nehemiah, who's the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. So he's talking about Sabbath. But then what does he say? Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you hear that? Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Eating and drinking and sharing. Friends, Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he's going to make all things new, and we're going to have a rager of a party. So let Sabbath be one day a week where we emulate that and have a foretaste now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the authority that it is in our lives. Thank you that we can... Even when we get swept away with our own thoughts and our own desires and the traditions of men, we can always come back to your word. Thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you tell us how we ought to live. Lord, teach us what Sabbath means. Teach us how to celebrate creation and redemption and the hope of the great day of the Lord when Christ Jesus returns and wipes every tear from our eyes. I pray that we would live in such a way that we are set apart, 
and that we set time apart to celebrate and to welcome the lost and the poor and the disenfranchised, that they may know what it means to be part of the family of God. Let me pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.